You are listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast. It is brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library, and my name is Jeff Milo. And today, Joseph Harris, local author, has a short story collection. It is called You're in the Wrong Place, and it came out on Wayne State University Press just about at the autumn of last year in 2020. And it is now, or rather recently, awarded the Michigan Notable Prize for 2021. And this is a collection of short stories that are each character studies of people who are living around the city of Ferndale. In fact, many of them have factory jobs and they are inhabiting this sort of pocket of Ferndale that was the location of several plants, several factories. So these are folks with jobs in industrial shops in this suburb located right above Detroit. And it uh, begins in 2008. So it is sort of following the travails of all of these characters in the wake of the Great Recession and where their lives go. And I guess almost where their souls go in a way. I wouldn't say that they become lost souls, but they become unmoored souls. And they are seeking any sort of transcendence that could be an antidote to cynicism, an antidote to hopelessness, an antidote to any kind of self-doubt. I mean, these are these are everyday folks dealing with very everyday problems, but Joseph Harris has done a great job of rendering very realistic and empathetic characters, and I really found it, as a reader of the book, to be very moving. Now, these are a collection of 12 short stories, and again, the title is You're in the Wrong Place, and the setting is Ferndale. Now, Harris holds a Master of Fine Arts from the University of Minnesota, a Master of Arts from Wayne State University, and a Bachelor's of Fine Arts from Emerson College, and he's had short stories appear in notable presses, Midwest Review, Moon City Review, Great Lakes Review, and many, many more. He's also a Pushcart Prize nominee, as well as being a recipient of the Detroit Working Writers Award for Fiction. This book is out on the Made in Michigan Writers series through Wayne State University Press. We'll be talking about this collection of short stories. You're in the wrong place with local author Joseph Harris. Here's our chat. Well, I, re- I really enjoyed this book, especially having grown up in Ferndale myself and just spent a lot of time traveling up and down Hilton on this mm-hmm. sort of east side of, of Ferndale, which is a, prominently the setting for almost every one of these stories collected in here. You're in the Wrong Place by Joseph Harris. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you too. This is a book I think that every Ferndalian should read. That's just an endorsement. I think that there's a that you you write very powerfully about this city, especially about the about these people. There are a lot of character studies in here. Each chapter is named for a character, each chapter story rather. These are short stories. But I go through this book, you're in the wrong place, and almost experienced them as chapters. So I enjoyed that. But tell us about the experience of capturing Ferndale throughout all of these stories. Yeah, I think that I got the idea for it in 2012. That's when I started the master's program in English and creative writing at Wayne State. And I graduated from Emerson College for undergrad three years before. 
and hadn't really written that much since then. And I just remember the prevailing feeling at that specific time when I started to wane of just being kind of terminally frustrated. And that's how my family felt. That's how most of my friends felt. There was just this sense of frustration, torpor. And, you know, especially if you were living in Ferndale at the time, like I was and in that area where the book is set, it didn't seem like it was going to end because it had already been four years at that point. And it was the recession is what we're kind of touching on. Yeah. And so I thought that instead of just kind of sit around and stew in that and kind of complain or do things that maybe are a little self-destructive that a lot of the characters do in the book, I kind of thought that I should try to make it mean something in some way or try to give it a gloss of importance in some way. And that's basically how the book got started. I just kind of took off from there. Sure. These are the word I kept trying to avoid using um, was, and maybe there's another word that, that you feel fits better, but a lot of these characters are dealing with a sense of hopelessness. Yes. You said frustration, but, but that's really where they are. Uh, These aren't, I mean, first of all, I haven't mentioned it in our interview here, but this is a Michigan notable. So first and foremost, congrats on that. A Michigan notable book of 2020. Yeah, thank you so much. That being said, uh, accolades accolades uh, should be celebrated. Not a, not necessarily a sunny read. This is a very gritty read. Um, and I guess as an experience, uh, when you're creating it and you have to sort of be so, uh, you know, you're the writer, you are spending this intimate time, weeks, days, months with a certain character crafting this story and this character's in a dark place. I almost wondered what that did to you mentally, your mood emotionally, you know, it must've been yeah, difficult to get through. Yeah, no, that's, or, that's, or did it feel cathartic? I guess, you know, I, that's a good question. I think it felt both in yeah. a way, obviously you can write something like this, especially in some of the, I guess the darker stories in here that did feel cathartic of being able to express what I was feeling at mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. through a different lens. But at the same time, when the story was finished, you know, the characters in that are kind of set in time. And I guess myself as a writer, we're we're still kind of like feeling those things. Mm -hmm. So I guess it was just kind of balance. I mean, yeah, it sounds kind of silly, but I think the thing that helped most with balance was just spending a lot of time with my friends, I think, during the period of when I started this until 2015, when I left to finish it at the University of Minnesota, it's probably like the most social I've ever been. Mm -hmm. And I think that was kind of true with a lot of my friends at the time, because obviously now like most of my friends are married and starting families, um, which is great. But, um, you know, that kind of excludes being able to be so like social and to kind of like bounce all these feelings off each other and to mourn and to celebrate. So I think, yeah, that brought me the most balance, but yeah, to get to, it definitely like, wasn't easy to be continually writing, you know, so many stories that kind of don't turn out that well for everybody. Right. So, right. What the, what the characters are all seeking. And again, you know, I, I, I go to that word hopelessness, but you know, I certainly don't want to go to the word despair. That's too strong of a word, but I think that what a lot of these characters, not all of them, but a lot of them are 
hoping for is a sort of transcendence mm -hmm. from their from their lot in life and that's at least something you know there's there's always it seems to be a sense with all these characters and each story is is named for the character it, there mm -hmm. there's always a sense that some of them can glimpse like a light at the end of the tunnel to use a cliche mm -hmm. but you know it should I, I can't go without mentioning this that this is all set on that sort of east side of Ferndale, Hilton and Nine Mile, specifically around along that sort of corridor of of industry that we, you know, in the '90s started to see being, you know, closed down. And it's, you know, it's tempting to use that other cliche because it technically fits. Uh, being from the wrong side of the tracks, you're literally on the other side of those tracks, right? Um, you know, Ferndale's divided by those tracks right past Hilton. Mm -hmm. But t tell me about that idea of transcendentalism, because I know that you also went off to Emerson to look into screenwriting. And I almost thought when I was reading some of this that, you know, this isn't in the romance genre, the thriller genre, the crime genre. This is everyday people, everyday life. And, you know, it made me think of screenwriters to get nerdy like Paul Schrader and stuff like that. Can you talk about, I guess, those influences and that idea of real people, real stories and why, why you were drawn to it? No, I'd, I'd, I'd love that. And, you know, that's, that's very insightful. I, yeah, I, I did go to um, Emerson for screenwriting and I think they did a very good job in the first year to kind of force you to see if you wanted to do that <laughs> for a living. And cause they were pretty honest, you know, yeah. of saying there's only five gigantic companies that own basically <laughs> all of media they exist to make a profit. You need to be able to write something that fits a genre that you can pitch that way and it needs to make money. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really thought of that because I was 18 years old. And you know, I had all these movies that I liked. And when it was kind of boiled down and reduced to pure commerce, I kind of lost my... Yeah. Yeah. desire to do it. But luckily, and I, I didn't really know this going in there, um, Emerson had a really good creative writing department. And so I switched in there starting my second year and I hadn't read that many short stories before then. And the ones that I was reading, you know, I think we read some Hemingway. I think we read some Raymond Carver stories, definitely. But yeah, compared to, you know, year before learning about like the commerce behind these like big budget unrealistic movies mm -hmm. compared to these stories about normal people that you know in your own life yeah and to have them be as a form so set mm -hmm. um to be so constrained but it, because i mean they're not very long but you can do so much in that form of the short story and then Later on the program, um, I was introduced to the work of Charles Baxter and Charlie, who lived here in Michigan and taught at Wayne State for a while and taught at Michigan for a while, and then um, went back to Minnesota, where he was actually my thesis advisor, which was I was very lucky to do. But first reading his stories, we're seeing all of these people who lived in Detroit and who lived in Ferndale and had all of these like very, very like realistic lives to me in terms of the people that I knew and the problems and conflicts were the problems and conflicts that I knew from living there. Mm -hmm. And that struck me as territory that was so much more 
worthy of exploring for something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I guess rather than doing something, because even with screenwriting, you do write the script, but you know, cinema is inherently a visual form. And mm-hmm. uh, I think having something like fiction and especially the short story, which is such like a, a, a pure form of writing, in my opinion, was very, very rewarding and very exciting to learn how to do that. Yeah. yeah. I think your cinematic influences do do kind of come into this. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the stories I was particularly taken with was a story, it's called Ben. It's by a character, it's featuring that character. And there is a cinematic sequence in there to me where two characters are uh, walking to the overpass over I-75 and mm-hmm. dangling their legs over it. And you're talking about watching, it's nighttime and lights, lights, headlights going down to Detroit and then red brake lights streaming away from Detroit to the suburbs. It was very powerful. And I feel like, I do feel like cinema, cinematic images come into your head as a writer, which is cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm really happy you picked that one out because yeah, I, I'm, I, that might be my favorite story in the collection. Right. Um, constellations. But I mean, that's absolutely right. And I think that, you know, um, working on this collection and yeah, I'm working on new things now and you know sharing with other people and just kind of getting a better grip of I guess technically Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what I do and I think those two things that really stick out are character and dialogue Mm -hmm. and that is something that if I had no experience in screenwriting that I don't think I would have as kind of steady a grasp on right so that that is like a very very good point and I think that's something that is interesting about studying screenwriting or even attempting to do it because I mean, I wrote some like really terrible screenplays, but boy, are they so bad, but yeah, I mean, I think getting an, I getting an ear for establishing setting yeah. distinctly and quickly. And then, you know, having these characters be realer or realer to the extent that you can maybe visualize them and then have them talk in a way that will engage people while they're watching them, I think is very valuable. Yes. Yes. And I know that you're from this area. You grew up in this area. I'm from this area. I grew up in this area. And yet I still appreciated how much detail and descriptive writing went into to to laying out the land of Ferndale. And I think that anyone, as again, as I said at the start of the podcast, any Ferndalian should read this book. It's going to blow their mind. You mentioned that 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 I mentioned Ben, but that the story is actually called Constellations. Mm-hmm. And then there's a few other stories. Uh, there's one called Aaron, but it's actually called Easter Sunday. So mm-hmm. is that how you sort of arranged this book? Did you decide that when you were going to get to publish through the Made in Michigan Writer Series that you were going to sort of change it and add the names in or were the names always there? Tell us about how this came together. Yeah, that was kind of the names were kind of last minute. Okay. Um, yeah, Charles Baxter was my thesis advisor, one of my thesis advisors at Minnesota. And that was kind of his suggestion to add, I think the last meeting that we had before I had to, you know, print it and bind it and like read it for my thesis defense. That was like his idea. Um, Cause he was saying, you know, like you are in the same area and the characters are kind of dealing with the same issue. And I know you have different titles, which are the titles that they got published in, in, different literary magazines, but I think he said it's important for this book to kind of have that be further differentiated by knowing that we have different narrators because all the stories are first person. Mm -hmm. So yeah, obviously initially I was like really hesitant about that, but I was like, well, you know, 
I'll take your word for it. I'll give that a shot. And yeah, when um, it got to the editors at Wayne State Press, that's an idea that they also liked. So that's how it stuck. Yeah, terrific. You know, we've we've sort of mentioned him a couple of times, but there's anything else you could add about Charles Baxter? Because it just seems to be so cool to be working with him. He's kind of a literary legend now. Living legend, I guess, just recently retired. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. He retired um, last year. I was actually going to go back to Minneapolis. He was There was going to be this like gigantic party for him at Minnesota. And I hadn't been back since I graduated. And obviously that got, you know, rescheduled because of... Uh, COVID. But you know, I, rem- I remember reading like, you know, when I was first getting into trying to write myself and just learning how to do it. And yeah, I, there's just something so, you know, back when I was like, you know, 20 or 21, like something so like immersive mm-hmm. and luminous mm-hmm. about the short stories that he does and especially Believers, which is his collection from 1997. I remember thinking like, as a reader being able to get lost in this world where it's like so beautifully described, but has these like secretly very aggressive and violent characters that always kind of keep it under the surface because they are Midwesterners. And that is something that is kind of prevalent here in terms of an attitude or at least a social attitude. And just being able to be like immersed in this descriptive world with like these characters where you're not sure what's going to happen was incredible. Yeah. And I was honestly just like a really big fan and read, you know, all of the story collections. And I wasn't really, I didn't really know where he was teaching um, when I was applying to MFA programs um, after I graduated from Wayne State. And one of my um, teachers at Wayne State, Donovan Hone, mm-hmm. is also, he's, a, he's an excellent, excellent essay writer. Um, he was actually Charlie's student at Michigan mm-hmm. um, a while back in poetry. And, you know, not even knowing my kind of connection that I was like a fan suggested applying to Minnesota because he taught there. And, you know, I was attempting to cover a similar ground, at least in terms of setting and in terms of characterization so obviously like when i got there i was like a like very very nervous in my first workshop with him because this is someone that you know has written these things and you know for me at least you know books are you know kind of their own thing like what a person is the person that creates them but they kind of like exist on their own to be interpreted in their own ways by different people right but actually like being able to like talk to this person that was so influential and have him be so supportive yeah of me, um was was a really really wonderful experience yeah. you mentioned that i want to get back to that that idea of this being stories about folks who are that sort of that 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 midwestern vibe ferndale mm-hmm. is such an interesting city because it's seen as having you know, cosmopolitan qualities, but it is very blue collar at the same time. And it, Mm -hmm. and it, and it's when you look back at the forties and fifties and sixties, especially that whole Eastern side of Ferndale was just plants, industries, you know, uh, shops. So I think Ferndale is very, very just interesting in general. You want you, you might want to call it a, a suburb, but it is right there at the precipice of Detroit. And it is so industrial in its own little subtle way. And I think you did a great job of, of capturing that. And I just wanted to lead into sort of developing this sort of anger for all the stories, which is dynamic fabricating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my uncle has a fabricating shop in Roseville. And 
during my summers at Emerson, you know, I, I think the first year I came home and I was a bus boy at this country club and it was like not fun and I didn't get paid any money. And my uncle was always like, well, if you want to come like do this, you know, you, it's not, it is not easy, but it pays like for a college student, a lot of money. And it did, you know, I think 12, $14, $14 an hour when you're working 60 hours a week, like I was then yeah. is still, is I still have not made that much money before, you know, even with, you know, two master's degrees, that's still the amount, the most money I've ever made was working in a fabricating shop, you know, in my summers from college. Um, and yeah, I mean, that obviously was something, a kind of work that I'd never done before. Um, and yeah, it is obviously not very easy, but it is, uh, you know, a very, very different workplace and a very different, you know, workplace culture, um, then obviously like, you know, teaching or working in an office and yeah, I think that's just one thing, like I noticed, like, you know, I think everyone was kind of conscious there and, you know, certainly I was that it's just like, man, this is hard because it was, you know, like five thirty to four o'clock, uh, you know, six days a week, most of the time, um, you know, basically all you're doing is, is working. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think everyone there, you know, tried to, there was obviously a lot of jokes, you know, there were some wonderful, wonderful personalities that I meant there. Just some like really, really like interesting and like really, really cool people. Um, definitely the most diverse place that I've ever worked. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I think that for me, one of the things that I remember, um, a lot of the jobs that I was doing is because, you know, I didn't have a, a defined trade skill, like almost everyone there did, um, was working in the press room or deburring, for instance. So you get like, I don't know, like 10 or 20,000 pieces of something that you need to fold mm -hmm. or need to like sand off the edges. Mm -hmm. So that obviously is like daunting when you see it all at once, but you're pretty much like left alone as long as you finish it in a certain time frame. Yeah. And I still like, I miss that about it. I miss being able to have this kind of like independence at work and I don't miss being tired, but you know, I, I certainly miss making like that amount of money, you know, right. that, that is obviously like your life outside of there is contained because you're always working, but right. you know, it, it felt really nice to be able to have that kind of like breathing room there. Um, and yeah, I did that for, three years. Um, when I did graduate from Emerson in May of 2009, that was when like the recession had like just hit. And I was like, well, I'm not going to get a job anywhere else. Yeah. So I worked there for another, I want to say like seven or eight months yeah, yeah. Um, after that and probably should have stayed. But for me, it was just like waking up at five o'clock six days a week was impossible for me. Like I'm not a, a morning person. Right. Um, but I mean, it's probably a work I would have stayed with. It was more of like a, a nine to five job. Right. Well, the, something that this also draws to my mind is that, you know, when you do drive through these areas, if you drive down Wanda Street or if you mm -hmm. drive down Burdett, you'll see all these factories and probably more than half of them are, are empty at this moment. But right. your book is sort of capturing this end of a moment of huge Ferndale history because so many of those buildings, 
even just in the 40s, were just humming for uh, production for the war effort. And then the 60s for the big three. So you could, you know, you could encounter and witness the echoes of Ferndale history if you just drive down those streets. Or you could read Joseph Harris's book. And (laughs) you take us down those streets, which is just so poignant. Um, I want to ask about one more story, though, is that, you know, these are you are sort of, it seems your specialty is short story writer. You have been published in a lot of notable presses. You've got a story toward the end. I don't know the original title, but it's titled for the character Candy. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you've got, you might have the endurance for a long form. That's one of the longer stories. Um, do you think that that might be in your future? And if it isn't, part B of the question would be just tell me, telling me what you enjoy mostly about the short format. Oh, yeah, this is a great question. Yeah, I mean, with that one, um, yeah, Lorca Tortoise, that took me forever to write. That was like a a full semester, yeah, last semester at Minnesota. And in the book, I think it's like 30-something pages, but I guess in like a Word document, it was 50 pages right. and I think like 13,000 words. And that was incredibly hard. I worked with my other thesis advisor, um, Sugi Ghani Jonathan with that because she's primarily a novelist and was really helpful. And that story was basically all the scraps of probably like the 12 stories that didn't make it into the book yeah. because they were really bad, but there were like elements of them that I thought like either a phrase or a description or a character or a plot that I was able to kind of take out from all these and kind of like put them together into something longer and it was kind of a test to see if I could you know like write something longer and yeah I think the semester before that we did have a um, novel writing workshop and I was able to write I want to say like 80 pages of this um, soccer novel set in London and I was able to get a grant to go over there and do research that summer um, which was really interesting and when I graduated from Minnesota and came back and was looking for a job for like four months I was able to write I think another 60 pages of that so I want to try to finish that in the next couple of months Um, right now I'm finishing a second story collection that's set in Northern Michigan. And that's very close to being done. I think I have 55,000 words right now. And I just need like, I think 5,000 more to get it to 60,000 words or I guess 200 book pages. Mm -hmm. Um, But as soon as that's done, I want to try to finish that uh, soccer novel. Um, I think the difference is for, between I think like writing novels and writing stories for me are maybe two things. Uh, Number one, and maybe this will change for me, but it's, it's, it's hard for me to get invested in novels, um, which is, I think just like my own like personal taste, but it's like, I think coming from a person that really likes reading short stories a lot and also likes writing them, there is this sense of immediacy that you get in a story. Um, I think it's also a form that, although kind of constrained by its page limit, is something that is kind of like endlessly uh, able to twist itself, you know, technically and thematically and stylistically into such different reader experiences that you can 
create as a writer and you can consume as a reader in like a, a set amount of time. Yeah. That makes sense. So yeah. like say that you're at a job that you like really don't like, like I was for before I got sick and was able to get unemployment and like finish these books. But if you have like an hour between like 12 and one and you're saying it's like, Oh, I could read like, here's like a, a 30 page short story in this book that I really like. And you can sit down and get transported. Right. And it, it is like a full narrative time frame for you to enjoy. And I think especially in an age of, endless streaming options where, you know, especially during quarantine, it's been very popular to just binge watch shows, but with short stories, it's like, yeah, you can get a bunch of different reader experiences and a bunch of different ideas, like in this anthology bingeable format and a novel, it's like you, it's a lot of them are at least 300 pages, you know, they're a big investment. Um, it's very hard, at least for me to maintain the kind of momentum that you get in short stories, um, which I think, but this is all just obviously like my own personal taste and something that I'm excited to try to see if I can sustain the momentum that I enjoy in my favorite short stories, reading them and writing them to kind of like stretch that out. But yeah, I mean, it's just like a, a really, really great short story as a reader is one of the most enjoyable, I think, acts of artistic consumption that there is. It's, it's something that is so, and especially someone that, you know, writes them too. It is writing a really, really powerful, really unique short story is so, so hard. Mm -hmm. It's really, really a difficult form. I think for me, the only thing that I can compare that to is probably like poetry. You know, right. I'm, I'm a horrible poetry writer, just like <laughs> really, really, really bad. Um, you know, just trying some of it myself and just writing poetry is like, man, that is hard being able to like conjure all of these like emotions and images and thoughts in like really just brief descriptive, you know, oh, yeah. patch words and how they're arranged. I was like, man, that is hard. Yeah. And I do think that like short stories are, kind of like if you're not a good enough poet then you can kind of move on to short stories and, and try that but if they're, they're, they're so hard and I yeah I'm, I'm a big fan I guess yeah this is the thing is that when you are a short story writer your metaphorical canvas might be smaller but sometimes you use as much paint you know what I mean yeah. uh, it's it's got to be vivid and and you especially as I could just make one more recommendation for this book is that you do such a good job of sometimes getting us very much into the heads of these characters and into their lives and you know it's not always the prettiest picture but it's it's just i don't know it really stirs up it does what great fiction does and it stirs up our our empathy it it strengthens our empathy and it, it just makes us think about a broader picture so so kudos and kudos again on the michigan notable thank so, you so much yeah that that, that means like so much to to hear and especially now being like disconnected from like so many people being able to like talk to people about aspects of the book that they connected to was kind of like the only thing that i wanted to accomplish with this book so yeah. to hear that feels amazing so thank you so much absolutely i felt like i was right there with those characters sitting on the overpass with my legs dangling i felt like i was right there with them so uh Third time I've said this on the podcast, every Ferdinand should read this. Every Michigander should read this. And anyone else who's listening to this podcast should check this book out. You're in the Wrong Place by Joseph Harris. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. 
Thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. That was Joseph Harris, local author, talking about his collection of short stories capturing the experience of working-class middle America here in this unique suburb of Ferndale, which has such a history of industrial jobs over on that east side. And so these characters are residing there and just recovering, if at all possible, and some not recovering from those tremors of the Great Recession. This is a Michigan notable book for 2021. You're in the wrong place. We'll have links to more information about Joseph Harris in the show notes. And that is our show for today. A Little Too Quiet is the name of it, and it is brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo. You want to support this podcast, you could rate, review, subscribe. You could share it on social media if you enjoyed this chat. Just tell a friend about it. The music you hear on the way in and way out is by a local musician, Chad Stocker. We appreciate you listening.